Thank you uh, so much, Shona. Uh, one of the joys of being a pastor is that you get to interact with people over a longer period of time. And um, I first, could somebody take these two microphones off me, please? Thank you. I first met Shona when she was 13, 13 or 14. And it has been just the most utter privilege of our lives to have her become an extended part of our family and to see how God has grown her and used her and is forming her and fashioning her. Thank you for your ministry. Uh, good evening, everyone. My name is Malcolm. I have the privilege of leading the church here at Dundonald. If it's your first time with us, I really appreciate the fact that you've taken a Sunday evening to come and to spend time here in God's presence. And if you're joining us online, thank you too for taking the time to be with us. I really appreciate it. My prayer is that God, in his grace and in his mercy and by the power of his spirit, would speak to us this evening through what I want to talk to you about. I want you to imagine for a moment the scene. Jesus has been involved in a prolonged and a busy period of ministry and his friends, Mary, Martha and Lazarus, two sisters and a brother, um, who have supported him and walked with him and spent time with him, have him over for dinner. They want to spend time with him. There's a lot about what happens on the evening that they have dinner that I don't have time to go into tonight. One of the remarkable things about the story is that um, one of the sisters, a lady called Mary, sits at the feet of Jesus and listens to Jesus as Jesus teaches and preaches. That was a reserved, special place that was only for men. It's where rabbis sat. And Jesus said, no, she's welcome here too. And by so doing, affirms not only her, but all the ministry of women. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. But that's not what I want to talk to you about tonight. The other sister is getting very stressed. She's pulling her hair out. She's running around like a headless chicken. Her name is Martha. And she is up to high dough, as my mum would say, by the fact that there are so many people in their house and her sister's sitting bone idle at the feet of Jesus. She's not one bit happy about it. And she gives off a bucketful. That's a Northern Ireland colloquialism for she's not very happy. I want to read the story to you. It's found in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 41. I'm going to read it to you from the Bible that I normally read in English, which is the New Revised Standard Version. And then I'm going to read a paraphrase of it from an American a pastor called Eugene Peterson. Uh, that version is called The Message. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 41. Now, as they went on their way, he, that's the Lord Jesus, entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. It's interesting, isn't it? Martha, it wasn't Martha's house. It was Martha and Mary and Lazarus's house. But Martha, the busy woman that was getting stressed, was behaving as if it's her house. Anybody else know what that feels like? This is our house, but your big sister or your big brother's... No, no, no. I call the shots around here. Anyway, uh, she had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to Jesus and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. 
But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Now listen to it from the message. As they continued their travel, Jesus entered a village. A woman by the name of Martha welcomed him and made him feel quite at home. She had a sister, Mary, who sat before the master, hanging on every word he said. But Martha was pulled away by all she had to do in the kitchen. Later, she stepped in, interrupting them. Master, don't you care that my sister has abandoned the kitchen to me? Tell her to lend me a hand. The master said, Martha, dear Martha, you're fussing far too much and getting yourself worked up over nothing. One thing only is essential, and Mary has chosen it. It's the main course, and it won't be taken from her. God always blesses the public reading of his inspired and infallible word. Martha is anxious. She's stressing out. She sees everything that needs to get done. She feels as if everything rests on her. She's not happy that her sister isn't helping. She's fed up with it. She's ready to start a row in an empty house. And she says to Jesus, do you not care that she's not helping me? Tell her to do something. Anxiousness. It's something that blights all of us. It gets into our lives. Each of us gets anxious about different things. When I was driving over this evening, I was talking to um, two of my family members about what gets them anxious and explaining a little bit of what I was going to be saying this evening. One of them gets anxious when they don't know what's going to happen next. The other one gets anxious when they have a little bit of knowledge, but not enough to completely understand something. My wife, Debbie, I said to her, when was the time that you were most anxious in your life, Debbie? Um, And she said, when you had meningitis, Malcolm. And I didn't know what they were doing about it, and I didn't know what the treatment was going to be, and I didn't know what they were going to uh, say to me or help, and they didn't seem to be listening to me. That was 23, 24 years ago, just uh, around about the time that we were getting ready to get married. And I said, well, what helped you? And she said, I think what helped me was centering, focusing. Susanna Wesley, the great mother of John and Charles Wesley, who had 14 children, And not a very, how many? 19. Thanks for keeping me right, Debbie. 19 children. (laughs) Didn't have a lot of time to herself. And what she would do when she felt anxious was sit on a kitchen table and pull, on a chair, not a table, and pull her apron over her head. And that was her message to everybody in the house. Leave me alone. I need some time to sort myself out and to get focused. What do you get anxious about? What makes you anxious? I was saying this morning that one of the things that I get anxious about is I I, I worry about my children and about some of the things that they have to do and some of the challenges that they face. What do you get anxious about? We all get anxious about something and it evidences itself in different ways in our lives. Anxiousness or anxiety doesn't remove tomorrow's sorrow. It steals today's joy. In his um, work in the 19th century, 
The um, Scandinavian philosopher and theologian Soren Kierkegaard, um, in a book called The Concept of Anxiety, says this, anxiety is the dizziness of freedom. In other words, if you want to be free to make your own choices, anxiety is part of the deal because you're not in control of everything and sometimes you're anxious about what you don't know. You're anxious about what lies around the corner. Rick Warren, in his little book, The Purpose of Christmas, the American pastor says, the more you pray, the less you'll panic. The more you worship, the less you will worry. You'll feel more patient and less pressured. Anxiety is like a heavy stone that can pull us down. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25, perhaps written by King Solomon, David's son, says, anxiety weighs down the human heart, but a good word cheers it up. And the Bible, the book that guides Christians in our thinking, our beliefs, our convictions, and our priorities, has quite a lot to say about anxiety and how we might cope with it and deal with it. On a personal level, the writer of a psalm, a song, Psalm 139, in verse 23, makes this his prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Could I invite you this evening to take a moment to say to God with me in prayer, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. And if you are present in this room, speak to me. And help me to think about how I can live a better life. And deal with the anxiousness and the anxieties that can so often press upon me. Whether you're here or you're joining by the internet. May that be your prayer. One thing is sure, working harder, trying harder, being more in control is not going to cause or provide a solution to your anxiety. It'll just create other things for you to be anxious about. Psalm 127 verse two says, it is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. You haven't got a great deal of power to be in control of everything in your life. And yet, the prophet Jeremiah, God speaks to, at a time when Israel is being destroyed, when its cities are being laid waste and the people are being taken away from their home in Jerusalem into modern-day Iraq and Iran and held captive where they will remain in prison, in exile for 70 years. And here's what God says to Jeremiah. They shall be, those that trust him, shall be like a tree planted by water sending its roots out by the stream. It shall not fear when heat comes and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of drought, it is not anxious. And it does not cease to bear fruit. So there's a way of dealing with anxiousness if we will listen to what Jesus says to us in the New Testament and God says to us across the pages of the Bible. Don't think, I must be a failure if I get anxious. Anxiousness is something that every human being lives with to one degree or another. In the Bible, there was a man called Epaphroditus, and he was from a city called Philippi, and he was sent to help Paul when Paul was in prison, um, probably in Rome, but perhaps in Ephesus, Ephesus or Caesarea. And Epaphroditus got sick while he was away, and he didn't want the people in Philippi to worry about him. 
Paul sent him back, and here's what he said in Philippians 2.28. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, in order that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. Paul was anxious about how the people in Philippi were because he was worried about Epaphroditus. As an older man, he wrote a letter to a church in Corinth about all the things that they needed to remember and about his own ministry. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, having listed earthquakes and, uh, I beg your pardon, um, floods and whippings and imprisonments and harassments and being harangued and all kinds of other things. Listen to the last verse of what he says about the things that he finds difficult. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 28. And besides all the other things, I am under daily pressure because of my anxiety for all the churches. Even Jesus's earthly mother got anxious. When he was lost in the temple, she got anxious about him. And the phrase that's used in Luke chapter two, verse 28, about how she responded to him being lost, talked about her anxiety. So what is anxiety? How would you define it? Well, it is an emotion that is characterized by an unpleasant state of inner turmoil. And it's often um, accompanied by nervous behavior, such as pacing back and forth. You don't only do that when you're on a mobile phone. When I'm really anxious, I fiddle with my wedding ring. Can't help it. Just automatically my hand goes to my wedding ring. If I'm anxious about something that's going to be happening, Debbie will know. She'll say to me, you're, you're wound up. Because I, I, I twiddle my wedding ring round and round on my finger. I get anxious about it. Some people rub their, rub, their, um, rub their lapel. Others will wring their hands. Some people tick their hair. Um, if you're not Rafa Nadal, you do a whole load of stuff every time you're going to serve a ball. It's accompanied by sleeplessness, by not being able to stop thinking, by sitting up late at night worrying about things. It's an unpleasant feeling. And it can carry with it a sense of dread. People that feel particularly anxious feel almost as if their life is going to come to an end. They don't know how they're going to survive something. Anxiety isn't the same as fear. Fear is a response to a real or perceived immediate threat. Anxiety is the expectation of a future threat and what it might mean. It's a feeling of worry, of uneasiness, often unfocused, sometimes generalized, and you can be anxious about one thing and it evidences in your behavior about something else. I've seen people that live with severe anxiety and every argument they have as husband and wife ends up about something else because there's a deep-seated anxiety in their lives. They overreact. They lose their temper too quickly. They, 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 are, they snap at one another because there's something on their mind. Anxiety can be associated with muscular tension, with restlessness, with fatigue, with concentration problems. If I am in a bout of severe um, anxiety, the muscle in my neck and in my back goes tight and I can hardly move my back. One time I was about to speak to about nine or 10,000 people and I had a bout of this terrible, terrible thing. And I came on the stage 
and I spoke, and every time I had to move, I moved my whole body left and my whole body right. As soon as it was finished, I said, somebody needs to take me to a doctor. And they took me to the doctor, and the doctor said, you have a severe bout of something called torticollis. It's when the, the muscle that runs down your neck and over your shoulders and down into your spine spasms. And he says, it's caused by anxiety. Have you been doing anything that has been causing you anxiousness lately? I said, yes. I was just speaking to 10,000 people. He said, well, I think that would cause me anxiousness too. <laughs> Took three months of physiotherapy and treatment and massaging and learning to move my neck again before I could get it released. Now, you might look at me now. Some of you might want to leave and say, well, what kind of pastor is he? Well, probably one that's pretty human. Anxiety can be appropriate sometimes. It can be a gift. Warning us that we need to be careful. But if you are experiencing it regularly then it's getting to something that you need to deal with. If you are withdrawing from some situations because they make you too anxious, if you're running away, if you're locking yourself out of certain situations, if you're becoming withdrawn, if you're becoming irritable, if your marriage is under threat because of it, if your children are afraid to speak to you, if your work colleagues know a look in your face and think, avoid him today, then there's something for you to deal with. You might have existential anxiety because you're just worried about being alive. You might have somnac, somniac anxiety. You're worried about not being able to sleep. You might have stage fright. It stops you being able to stand on a stage. You might have anxiety around tests, driving lessons, exams. You might, like me, have anxiety every time anybody mentions the word spelt D-E-N-T-I-S-T because you don't want anything put in your mouth that is mechanical. It has links to lots of other disorders. It can create real health problems. It can cause you to feel pretty trapped. There's more medication prescribed now for anxiety disorders than there have ever been. The United Kingdom is in an epidemic of anxiety. It is costing millions of pounds in the National Health Service millions of pounds in days off work. And yet nobody seems to have a long-term proper good solution. There are medical treatments that we can take. There are drugs that we can take. There's therapy that we can go to. We can learn anxiety traits in our character and we can know how to address them. We can think through those challenges. Thank God for all of that treatment. Mental health is something that you should be interested in. It's been a subject in the church that has been taboo for so many years. And pastors are often guilty of saying, well, if you have a mental health issue, pray about it. God will look after everything. I'm not sure that that is an adequate solution in 21st century living to help people properly. If you are suffering from severe anxiety, you might need medical help. You might need to go and talk to someone. You might need to get some treatment don't let my sermon tonight or my message tonight make you feel as if there's a quick, easy solution because these issues are deep and important and don't let yourself feel less because a doctor is prescribing some medication for you. Don't let it be a taboo thing. Don't be afraid of it. Don't run away from the issue that you might be facing. But God is able to help you by the power of the Holy Spirit 
He's able to bring hope into the situations of anxiety that many of us feel. And he's able to help us to develop a different approach to the anxiety in our lives so that we can live better. The Greek word for anxiety in the New Testament is the word merimna. And it means anxiety or concern. It's used six times. I'm going to read each one to you to help you understand it. First of all, um, it's used in Matthew chapter 13, verse 22. And in Mark chapter 4, verse 19. And in Luke chapter 8, verse 14 which all tell the same story. It's the parable of the tares and the wheat. Um, I beg your pardon, the parable of the seed. When the seed of the word of God is cast onto the, the ground and there are different things that destroy it and stop it from growing. Some are trials and afflictions and so forth. All of those verses, Matthew 13, Mark 4 and Luke 8, say this in one way or another, but they all use the same word. As for what was sown among thorns... This is who, what, the one who hears the word, but the anxieties, the cares of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke it, and it proves unfruitful. The three gospels say anxiety can choke your capacity to hear what God might want to say to you. It can stop you growing as a Christian if you are one. It can choke the lifeline of God's promises to you because anxiety means you can't hear God's promises. They're, they're, they're thundered out by your emotions and by your responses and by the feelings that you have and by the immediacy of the situation that you face. Jesus uses the word again in Luke chapter 21 when he talks about making sure that we don't allow ourselves to get distracted. In verse 34, watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the anxieties of this life. At the end of your life or at the end of time, be careful that you don't allow all the things that you think need to be done to weigh down upon you so heavily that you lose your sense of hope. Martha let the things that needed to be done become a source of anxiety to her and it meant she couldn't enjoy Jesus' company. She was so worried about all the stuff that needed to get done that she couldn't sit like her sister and enjoy Jesus. I wonder if that's because she felt she had to do everything. I can imagine her in a Belfast household. Mary says, I'm going to sit and listen to him. Martha says, you're going to help me. Mary says, no, I'm going to sit and listen to him. And Martha probably said something like, you think these dishes will wash themselves? Somebody has to do it. But she took all of the responsibility. That can cause a great deal of anxiousness in us. That verse that I used about the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 11, the anxieties of the churches, it's the same word. The other version, the other use of it, one more. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, where Peter, encouraging his listeners to deal with their anxiety, says this, cast all your anxieties on him because he loves you deeply. We're all searching for a, a solution to this problem. Not just Christians, society in general. As I've been preparing for tonight over the last week or so, um, I came across a really interesting thing. Amazon, the um, book selling thing, well, it sells everything, can 
record what the favorite sections of books are, which is a bit scary, a bit Big Brother-esque to me. So it can tell what is the favorite bit of The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings or The Wind in the Willows or um, Winnie the Pooh or um, the Bible. What do you think the most highlighted bits of the Bible are is in the world on Amazon. I thought, well, maybe it's John 3, 16. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Or maybe Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Maybe it's that. Or maybe it's the Lord's prayer in Matthew chapter six. Maybe those are the most underlined, the most highlighted verses on people's electronic Bibles in the world. No, none of those are true. The most highlighted verses in the Bible in the world via Amazon and therefore via Kindle are Philippians chapter four, verses six to seven. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Everybody wants to know how to deal with anxiousness. We're just not all very open about the fact that we're looking for the solution. So how do we deal with it? Well, I want to propose a couple of things that might help. I'm not claiming in any way to give you a full answer to this. I just want to point you in the right place. But I want to start by suggesting that anxiety might affect you and me in different ways, and different issues of anxiety might affect each of us in different ways. So just as my wife got anxious about me having meningitis, and somebody else gets anxious about this or that or the other thing, just be aware that your anxiety might be somebody else's no-brainer. They might not be worried about it at all. I came across an interesting article about six months ago. I, I'm constantly reading and clipping things because I know I'll use them at some point. It's the blight of preachers. Patrick Smith is a commercial airline pilot and he flies Boeing 757s and 767s. And he wrote an article about flyers' number one anxieties. Anybody get anxious when they fly? Turn to the person beside you and tell them what your most anxious thing would be on a plane. Patrick Smith, the commercial airline pilot, has noticed that off the chart, people's most anxious thought on planes is turbulence. Not an engine failing, which I think I would be more anxious about, I have to say. <laughs> turbulence. Here's what he says. For all intents and purposes, a plane cannot be flipped upside down, cannot be thrown into a tailspin, 
or otherwise flung from the sky, this wouldn't help me by the way, or otherwise flung from the sky by even the mightiest gust or air pocket. Conditions could be annoying and they could be uncomfortable, but the plane is not going to crash. Turbulence is an aggravating nuisance for everybody, including the crew, but it's also, for lack of a better term, normal. From a pilot's perspective, it is ordinarily seen as a convenience issue, never as a safety issue. When a flight changes altitude in search of smoother conditions, this is by and large in the interest of comfort, not in the interest of safety. The pilots aren't worried about the wings falling off. They're trying to keep their customers relaxed and everybody's coffee where it belongs, in the cup. In the worst of it, you probably imagine the pilots in a sweaty lather, the captain barking orders, hands tight on the wheel as the ship lists from one side to another. Nothing could be further from the truth. Actually, Smith concludes, while the passengers are fretting about the turbulence, the pilots are having a casual conversation about their morning orange juice. So what if our anxiety is like turbulence and our pilot is never flustered? Maybe we're all trying to be pilots. And we get anxious because we're experiencing turbulence, which is normal in life. I think that might be a pilot ringing to say the flight's going. <laughs> I get really anxious about unexpected phone calls. <laughs> Not really. Not really. <laughs> Can I take you back? Join me in the room again. To that most underlined verse in the Bible. Philippians chapter 4. And this time, let me read you the surrounding verses for it. Verses four to eight. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Living free from anxiety has its solution in those verses. Let me suggest to you, first of all, that 99% of the things that you are anxious about are not going to happen. So it's wasted energy. The Greek philosopher Epictetus says this, man is not worried by real problems so much as by his imagined anxiety about real problems. I wonder how much time we have spent worrying about things that never happened. So as we begin to think about how we deal with it, perhaps one of the first things, first things that we need to recognize is that a lot of the stuff that we get anxious about doesn't happen. Maybe that's why Jesus said, let tomorrow look after itself. Sufficient unto a day is the evil thereof. 
Maybe it's because we're fixers. Maybe it's because we want to keep our hands on the uh, steering wheel of the plane of our lives. Maybe it's because we think we know better. Maybe it's because we have to know that the solution is trustworthy, that we get anxious about things before they happen. Probably a mixture of all of those, I should think. But there is something in anxiety, if we allow it to be a gift to us, that forces us back to recognizing that we are not in the driving seat of our own lives. God is. And that brings us peace. It doesn't depend on me. I haven't got to work it all out. And that brings me to Philippians, to what Paul said to these people. I think when you read those words that are most underlying, do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. You find certain key principles that will help us. The first one is this. If you are an anxious person, find a relationship with the one person that can deal with it. A relationship with the God who is able to help. If you're anxious and you talk to somebody who's equally anxious, you're going to get more anxious. You talk yourself into a lather, don't you? And sometimes friends because they want to be your friend more than wanting to tell you the truth, will just affirm every emotion that you're feeling, every feeling that you're going through, because they don't want to offend you. God sometimes offends us. Talk to the person who can actually do something about it, God. And in that, um, be careful that you note that this is about prayer. I'm going to say something about that in a moment. But what is prayer other than a conversation with God? and God having a conversation with you. But what Paul says is, do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Be honest about it. I sometimes think that we Christians have created a form of prayer which lacks honesty. And we'll say, Lord, I'm trusting you in this, when you're not. As if God doesn't know that your heart's going at a hundred to a dozen. And instead of saying, Lord, I am not trusting you in this, but I want to. Could you please help me with that? I sometimes wonder how we would have written the Psalms if it was down to us. Psalm 22, for example. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think the modern version of that in many of our churches would be, my God, my God, I know that you're there all the time. And I'm putting my trust in the reality that you're present and eventually you'll see me through. That's not how the psalmist prays. The psalmist says, where are you? I need your help. Be anxious. If you're anxious, be honest. Let God know how you're feeling. Tell him what you're facing. Today, as you're listening to me this evening, don't pretend that you're all together. Give it to him. Do something that is so countercultural that it almost offends people in 21st century Europe. Learn the art of dependence. You won't get through life on your own. God will get you through life. You won't have an answer to every problem. You don't have the resources to see you through all the challenges and difficulties that you're facing. You're not supposed to have them. You're supposed to lean into God who does have them. You're supposed to let him have your anxieties and your worries. That's what Peter says. Cast your anxieties on him because he loves you. 
Do you have up there, I don't know if you have it, um, probably not. I asked the guys this morning to get a clip for me. Uh, is anybody behind those screens? There is, oh look, Nicole, you're hidden, I can't see you, you're too small, darling. You don't have a clip from this morning, do you? You don't? That's all right, it's my fault. In the 1970s, a, a, a British um, conductor, musician, called Ga, uh, Gavin Myers, was researching some work in his university degree in the Elephant and Castle and he came, in London, southeast London. And he came across a homeless guy and he was recording people singing. And he found this homeless guy and he said, do you sing? And the guy said, yes, I sing. And he said, well, would you mind singing into this recorder? And he said, yes. And the guy sang a song and Myers didn't think it was very good but he recorded it for his um, work. And about 10 or 15 years later, he was doing another piece of research and he went back and he found this piece of music. He found this piece of singing and he realized that the guy was singing in a very unusual key, but he was singing perfectly in key. So Myers wrote a symphony behind his voice that was recorded in the 1980s or 1990s. You'll get it online if you want to check it. But here is what this old drunk Homeless man was singing. He had nothing. He'd nowhere to live. He'd no clothes. He'd no money. He'd lost everything. And he sang, Never failed me yet. Never failed me yet. His blood never failed me yet. Never failed me yet. Never failed me yet. Jesus' blood has never failed me yet. Peter says, not just leave your anxieties at his feet. The language that he uses is throw them as hard as you can away from yourself toward God because he loves you. God loves you. If you're joining online, tonight or you're here and you've never heard that or you've heard it and you've forgotten it or you've heard it and you've never believed it. God loves you. He is interested in your daily worries and concerns and fears and anxieties. And he doesn't want you to live your life by dealing with your anxieties through self-harm, by being locked in with them. Christians believe there is a solution and the solution is God himself who loves you and has the power and the capacity to help you if you will give him your worries and your concerns. Learning to give him your worries and your concerns is part of the hardest journey that any follower of Jesus will make. You will never master it. You will have to learn to do it again and again and again. You'll get deeper and deeper into trust as you learn to give him more and more and more of your concerns. But it is a lifeline of hope. It brings peace in the most difficult circumstances, which is why in Philippians 4, Paul goes on to say, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Literally, Paul is describing there a peace that you cannot explain 
and cannot learn through an exam or through intellect. It's a peace that's promised because of a person. And you don't always understand him, but you can always trust him. Learning to let God guard your heart, which is your emotions, but in Hebrew thinking is your will, your decisions and your intention, and your mind, which in Hebrew thinking is your creativity and your intelligence and your choices, is the key to freedom. How do we know that we can trust him with our anxieties? In the Bible, Jesus' death is described as a death in which he took our sins and our sorrows and our anxieties in Hebrew and carried them in his body on the cross. He has bought your peace with his blood. The cross deals with our sin. The cross deals with our shame. And the cross deals with our fear. We can trust God because he's shown us how much he loves us. The Father, God the Father, made you because he loves you. And he made you because he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to know his voice. He wants you to know how much he loves you. The son has died to secure that relationship. And the Holy Spirit, the third person in the Trinity, has promised that if you trust him, he will move into your life. He'll take up residence in your heart and he'll never leave you. And when you feel worried or anxious or are fretting, he is there ready to help, ready to carry your worries, ready to carry your fears. Well, why doesn't he do it then, Malcolm? Because we don't always give them to him. Or because we need medication or we need help or we need somebody else's support. If I had a broken arm, you wouldn't say to me, never think of putting in a cast, would you? If you have a severe anxiety disorder, you need help. And God has provided you with the help that you need through doctors and nurses and therapies. But if you are a person who also just gets anxious, God is able to come tonight and help you. To lift the concerns and the worries and the fears that you have as you learn to trust him. But you have to learn to trust him. I don't like flying. I used to. I can't be bothered with it now. It's just an interruption between two places. And I don't like those wee dopey meals they give you either. But I don't think I would ever think of getting up in the middle of a flight and knocking on the door and saying to the pilot, I can do this better than you. I might be daft, but I'm not that daft. We do it with our lives all the time. We do it with our children. We do it with our parents. We do it with our careers. We do it with our finances. We do it with our leadership. 
Get out of the way. There's a bit of turbulence. And I know better how to do this. And God sometimes says, no, you don't. I know how to help you. But you have to let me steer the plane. Let's pray. I'd like to invite you to reflect for a moment on those things that cause you anxiousness. And I really believe that there are a couple of things that God would like to minister into tonight. So out of respect to one another, would you please keep your eyes closed and your heads bowed? First of all, I'd like to speak to those of you that perhaps have diagnosed anxiety disorders and you've been receiving treatment for them and you feel like a second-class citizen because of it. You're embarrassed, perhaps even ashamed. I am sorry that the church has let you feel like that. I'm sorry that you've been left adrift. I'm sorry when the church that you've been part of hasn't been strong enough to support you and encourage you and accept you as you are. I want you to know that's not a mark of this church. We want to be a safe place for you. And we want you to know that you're welcome here. And we're thankful to God that you're still serving him. That you haven't given up. And as you continue to Pray and keep your eyes closed. On very rare occasions when I prepare a message, I feel that God speaks to me about specific situations. I'm not going to ask you to make a response to these. I'm just going to share them for you. And if God is speaking to you through this, you don't need to do anything. Just allow him to give you hope. I think that there's an individual here this evening and you have a child with a Significant learning disability. And your source of anxiousness is what is going to happen when you are gone. And God has something specifically to say to you this evening. I was there when that child took their first breath. And I will be there when they take their last breath. And I promise you, I will look after them.
I think there's a, an individual here whose anxiety has been extreme because of death and loss. And God wants you to know that he is able to carry you and that he will not drop you. And thirdly, I think there are a number of individuals here, particularly those that are younger. And your anxiety has been hidden. You've been self-harming. You're worried about what people are going to think about you. Everybody thinks you're fine, but you're not. And you feel that God could never love you. He loves you. And he's right here. And if you let him, he'll carry you through. He'll hold you. And he will help you. And you think there's no way out. There's a way out. You're not stuck in a dark tunnel forever. God has a way forward for you. You're not trapped. Now I want to leave those thoughts with each of you and pray for you. And then I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Lord, you know the people for whom those things are pertinent. Will you please give them grace? Thank you that you give us dignity. Minister to your people now, here and online, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We sense and know that you are here. We could hear a pin drop. Let your grace work into people's hearts as they open their lives to you. And bring hope and comfort and peace. Now I have two questions for you while your heads are bowed. If you're online and you're watching this service and you're under 21, when you make a response in a moment, could you let my colleague, Pastor Davy Hume, know by emailing him to davy at dundonaldelam.church. And if you're over 21 and you're about to make a response, my colleague Pip Kerr, Pastor Pip Kerr, can be contacted via pip at dundonaldelam.church. I have two simple questions. The first is for those of you online, you can respond by email or in the room, who are already Christians and need God to help you with your anxiousness. And you want to give it to him. If you're restoring your relationship with him, I'm going to ask you if you've walked away from him, if you've avoided him, if you've got involved in things that you shouldn't have and you've lost your way. If you want that relationship restored tonight, would you please put up your hand? 
and then take it down again. Thank you very much. Who else? Anyone else in the balcony after that one person? I know some of you are too concerned about putting your hands up. That's okay. I'm, I'm not oblivious to that. So anyone else wants to make a response and say, I'm recommitting my life to Jesus Christ. One person has already done that. My second question then is to those of you that are here and are not yet Christians or online. If you've come here and you're not a Christian and you've realized you need God and you're ready to make that step, would you please put up your hand? Doesn't matter what age you are. And then take it down again. Is there anyone else? These are holy moments. I know the Holy Spirit is ministering into people's lives. If you want to know more about Christianity as you leave tonight, there will be brown envelopes on the reception desk that help you in your Christian life. Take one with you. May God help you with it. Lord, thank you for every person here. I just sense that deep in people's souls, you're bringing hope. And that this is such a delicate subject that you want this to be a private moment for most of us. Take anxiety out of our souls. And give us the gift of peace. For our children, for our families, for our marriages, for our families, our friends, our health, our nation, whatever the cause may be, let your peace mantle your people. By the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you so much. We are here to serve you. If you need to talk to someone, grab one of the pastors at the door, grab somebody coming Tuesday and receive some prayer if you need prayer for any of the things that we've talked about tonight. If you want somebody to have a private word with you because you're anxious or nervous about anybody seeing you, then just let us know as you leave and we can have a private conversation. Our whole church team is here to serve you that you might become all that Christ wants you to be. And we're grateful that you're here. And if there's anything we can do to help, all you have to do is ask us because we love you and we thank God for you.
Amen. We're going to sing a closing song as we uh, come together, and the worship team are going to come and help us with that.